Lord, I ask that you would help me to not just dump a bunch of bees on these people. That I would just somehow forget the gospel, even while I'm talking about the gospel. And so help me, help me, Lord, to just put them before you and this beautiful, beautiful Savior who uses this book where Luther described the Bible as the cradle where we find Jesus. So help us find him. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Grace makes possible a realization. A realization regarding time itself. The uh, uh, Oxford English Dictionary defines realization as a discovery of a fact, if it's being used as a noun. A realization of a, a discovery of a fact. And so let's discover a fact. So when Paul wants to motivate the Corinthians, and he really does, he wants to get them. He wants them to awaken out of their sluggardly, heartless, half-hearted response to the gospel. He wants to wake them up. And what he does is he starts talking about time. Verse one and verse two. Let's read it. Working together with him. That's the previous five or six verses. Then he. Then we appeal to you. The word is beg. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Interesting idea. We'll explore it. So the first idea is don't receive the grace of God in vain. Talking to professing Christians. Now the second idea is this. For he says, look at verse 2, connecting the first idea. There it is. For he says, in a favorable time. Here's the second idea, time. For he said, or he says in a favorable time, I listened to you in a day of salvation. I have helped you. That's a quote from Isaiah 49. Behold, now is the favorable time. This is Paul interpreting the Old Testament. Whenever your New Testament interprets the Old, you've got gold. Old Testament can be very challenging. can be very challenging to understand. But whenever you have your New Testament interpreting your your New Testament interpreting the old, you've got gold. Now, it doesn't always mean, like, what, what's going on in the original when Isaiah's day? Now, what, how's Paul using it? It's always consistent. It's always consistent. It's all like a parenthesis that is now being expanded out. Okay? So Paul says, realize time's different. Don't take the Grace of God in vain. The appeal reaches back to chapter 5. Stop using the world's standards. Stop using, stop looking at people according to the flesh. Nothing, nothing matters by way of status or material possessions. Rich or poor. People with status. People who have no status. Paul says we don't we don't view people like that. You're either in Christ or you're not. And if you are in Christ, behold, new creation. What time is it, Christians? It's the time of the resurrected king. And he he has now declared that we by faith have entered into a new age. So, stop thinking in old ways. If anyone is in Christ, behold new 
new things have come. The old has passed away, verse 17 of chapter 5. Now all this, chapter 5, verse 18, all this is from God. Well, what's happened? Who reconciled us to himself? O Corinthians, are, the, some of, are some of you not understanding what time it is? You are like the exiles who were under judgment, who were taken out of Israel, Jerusalem, and taken away to Babylon. And Isaiah foretells of a coming day of redemption when he brings them out from under the judgment of exile and he redeems them and brings them home. Paul takes this imagery and says, this is our Jesus who is our Redeemer, taking us out of exile and the judgment of sin. O Corinthians, are you going to turn to some other Savior? Are you going to turn to some other system? Are you going to turn to Moses? Are you going to turn to some back to the glory days of Moses? Where are you? What is going on? And to wake them up, he says he implores them, he begs them. Do not turn away from this grace. Some in the Corinthian church were acting as if they were not accountable to God. Chapter 5, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, just hearing that, what what happens inside you? There's a realization happening. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Some of the Corinthian, some of the Corinthian church were sort of like hyper grace people. It's all of grace. God doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how I live, what I believe, where I go, where I travel with my life. Paul says, "What? What are you? What God? What king are you following?" The Westminster Confession talks about the law of God in relation to the Christian, and it calls the law of God the rule of life. How about that? It doesn't condemn us. Why, if you're in Christ, your sins have been separated as far as the east is from the west. What is the law of God? Let's say the Ten Commandments. It's the family code. How do you know someone's loving you? Well, they're not loving you if they lie to you. And so, it's the family code. It's the rule of life. It's what life looks like. Loving each other. And, the, and somewhere in the Corinthian church, they needed to hear this. There will always be a creator-creature distinction, even in heaven. We never have a relationship with God as our buddy. It's not, it's not taught in Scripture always. The most pious, holy saints, let's take Isaiah, for instance, in Isaiah 6. As he got close to the holiness of God, he confessed his sin. God had a right over his very words and his worship. So Paul's begging the Corinthians, embrace Christ alone, and he's trying to help them understand there is no age to come. This is the age, the final age of the Redeemer before the new heavens and the new earth arrive. Paul focuses attention on Isaiah's emphasis that salvation has arrived, a time has arrived. During this life, 
Biblical scholar Richard Pratt says, During this life, it is necessary for all who profess faith in Christ to make certain that their faith endures. Otherwise, the mercy shown to them in the preaching and reception of the Word of God will be in vain. Now, if you've ever glanced at your watch or your phone and you realize you're late, isn't it amazing how time has a grip on you at that moment? It's amazing how time has a grip on you. In fact, the more I talk about time, the more you're going to watch, look at your watch. Where should I be? I've got to be somewhere. It's amazing how time has a grip on us, isn't it? The calendar. What calendar do you follow? And what time rules you? For the church. For the church, we're told, the time of the risen Savior, the time of the Redeemer, the time of the favorable year of the Lord has arrived. This is where we are to look for time. Grace makes possible a realization regarding time. Your, your time on this, this moment, this moment of your life, should be a realization. My time is different now. It's not, I've been brought into the time of redemption, the time of God's grace, the time of God's deliverance. Now, secondly, grace makes possible a realization regarding glory-seeking. Now, this is one of these sections. Okay, we're about to read, as, as Justin read for us, that section that starts in verse 4. Basically, Paul says, all right, I'm going to commend myself to you, and he starts listing all these terrible things, right? It kind of felt a little uncomfortable in the room when you heard those things, like, oh. Well, today's a little bit like Palm Sunday, now, I don't have a, a, a B that I'm setting you up for. Now, I might, I might do it, but I won't do it because I plan to do it. I'm not setting you up. B suffering, all right? I'm not going to do that. This is a little bit like Palm Sunday. Remember how we're just watching Jesus on the little donkey going into Jerusalem? There's no commandments to us. There's nothing for us to be. There's no to-do list as we watch Jesus on the donkey going in. We're just watching. In much of the Bible, we're just watching. It's important. Or we're listening. Or we're seeing with the eyes of faith. And here's the section where we're, we're not watching Jesus, but we're watching one of his servants. We're watching one of his servants who's in a bit of agony. He loves these Greeks, these Corinthians. And they don't want him anymore. And so he's finally had to come to this place where he's got to commend himself to them. He's got to stand up for himself. And he's sort of hesitated up to this point in the letter. He, hasn't, he doesn't want to do this. And so he says, here's what I've done to make sure there is no fault in my ministry. <clears throat> and so... He says in verse 3, We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. And now I want you to watch what happens to you as you hear these words. This text draws us in with unusual power. He could have talked about how he was a man of status. 
He could have talked about how he had seen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus in Acts chapter 9 recorded for us. He could have talked about how he had visions of Jesus. He could have talked about how he'd heard special revelation from Jesus. He could have talked about how he was the preeminent church planter in what we call Europe. He could have have gone on and all about his accomplishments, and they are remarkable. Doesn't mention a single one. Grace comes at us and it realizes our glory seeking. I'm a glory, I'm a glory seeker. I'm not sure I really want to go down this path. I would rather have my credentials be something that are easily acceptable in society. Paul presents what grace does, and it brings one through suffering. There are three groups here, uh, three groupings. The first uh, grouping is characterized by the word in. The second one is characterized by the word with. And the third one is characterized by the word as. And all of this is to dismantle the way the Corinthians are viewing leadership. Chapter 5, verse 12. He says, he's trying to present his case against those who would trust in outward appearance. So the first group in, Paul says we experienced these afflictions in hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, and riots. Pretty unpredictable world, isn't it? wonder what Paul put on his planner that day. Fantastic day seeing the sights in Athens. Oh, how, how it might have turned out different. I'm going to be among the Ephesians and share the good news of Jesus. And they're going to, they're going to come after him as, as one who's dismantled their gods. Afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, and riots, labor, hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. And then, in the middle of all this, is the fruit of the Spirit. Look at this. Look at this list. The fruit of the Spirit. Purity. Understanding. Patience and kindness. Holy Spirit, sincere love truthful speech, power of God. Whoa! The second group is characterized by the word with, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, with glory and dishonor, bad report and good report. And then the final list is a contrasting pairs that begin with the word as, is to show Paul's positive character in the face of negative circumstances. As, the key word as, as genuine yet regarded as imposters. You're a fake, Paul. As known yet as regarded as unknown. Like, who are you again? Dying and yet we live on. 
beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. What is all this? It is sincere love, willing to suffer. Why is this like Palm Sunday? Watching Jesus go into the city where he's going to suffer? What's it like to watch this? I don't have a bee for you. Be suffering. Nope. I don't have it for you. But I have this text. And you have the Holy Spirit. And let's watch what happens to all our glory seeking. You mean I can go to the low place? I can go to the place where I volunteer in the church and I'm unknown and unappreciated? That would be awful. I wouldn't do that intentionally. You mean I can go to the place of not being noticed? I can go to the place of not even being cared for? I can go to the place of not even being thanked? I can go to the place of... And I can, I can do what? I can find grace there. Well, I like... I like, I like honor. I like, you know... You know, I used to have... I used to have my name on the worship folder. I gotta have a personal illustration here somewhere. You know, I gotta, I gotta suffer somewhere here. I used to have my name on the worship folder. And I'm not a doctor, so I can't put doctor. I don't have a PhD, but I have an MDiv. Did you know that? Yeah. And so I used to put MDiv underneath my name. And then a wonderful brother of mine said, why do you do that? Why don't you just represent yourself as a poor sinner who's up there because of God's grace alone? You have friends like that? What, what does it mean? Why is it important? Let this text do its work on you. And I wonder where you might find Jesus. Where do you find Jesus? Wonder will he wonder where he will meet you. Of course, all of this is to say, and by the way, unless you know, there's a massive crisis in the evangelical church right now. And ministers are at the center of it. And they are failing right and left, denomination after denomination, and they've been playing church and loving the glory and out of touch with their own needs and moral failures. It's going on and on. In many, many churches, some on this island are in a state of woe and talked to someone recently and trying to get some pastors to just come and pray with that church. Now, Paul sets all of this up, and his point is that no fault would be Right? No fault would be cast against his ministry. You can't sell Fords and drive a Cadillac. You, you, you got, it's got to be real. See what I'm saying? And, and by the way, any time in my life, you, think, you know, Todd, I'm not sure it's real with you. And here's what you're, I think this is what you're really into and committed to. I would love to hear from you because I need to repent. 
Because really all you have is your life and really the weakness and humility that you should be pursuing. And hopefully that's a platform that God will use. So, wrestle with your glory seeking. And by the one, by the way, the one who meets you in your humility, he is glorious. And he has presented to you the path of suffering to glory. That's a consistent theme in the Bible. Suffering to glory. Joseph, descending into the lower regions of Egyptian society as a slave, suffering in charge, pretty much second, second in command of Egypt, right? You know the story? Suffering to glory. The greater Joseph, suffering, fool on a hill, Christ to glory. Now, Jesus said in John 15, a servant is not greater than his master. Oops. And so this, is, uh, this leads us now to our third idea. Grace makes possible a realization regarding fruit-bearing through suffering. It's pretty clear right there, isn't it? What In the middle of all that, Paul begins to describe grace fruit. Grace fruit. Many of us, I am sure, are being brought into pressures, difficulties, that we're not not in our planner. And now what's going to happen? Paul describes purity. That means he didn't become cynical and bitter. Paul describes knowledge. That means he was wise in how to respond. He describes patience, kindness. He just says the Holy Spirit. Genuine love. Look at that. In the middle of being mistreated and having hardships. He says, what flowed out of me was genuine love. Verse 7, take a look. Truthful speech. Never misrepresented the other people who were failing to love him. The power of God, weapons of righteousness on the right hand and for the left. Grace fruit appears under pressure. Grace fruit is true identity discovered under pressure. Malignment, slander, mistreatment causes us to sink deeper roots into how we were treated in Christ. Listen to that. Deeper roots into how we were treated in Christ. Now, why can't we why can't we handle suffering? Well, it's always difficult. I don't want to minimize your suffering at all. It's very, it's very hard. There's no easy solution to it. But to handle suffering, we have to have the weight of our redemption real to us. Where Paul says in Romans 8 that I consider the sufferings of this present age not worthy to be compared. When I suffer, I compare. Is this salvation that big of a deal? Because I don't like to suffer. So, 
So the counterbalance is a weighty salvation. Weighty. It's got to have weight to it. And so that Paul says it's not worthy to be compared, take the scales. He's got his sufferings here. He's got glory and redemption in Christ. And here's what happens. It's not worthy to be compared. That's what I hope we're about as a church. And of course, this identity stuff flows out of Paul as he wraps up this section. He talks about treated as imposters, yet we're the real deal. He can handle people's mischaracterization of him, and it doesn't cause him to be destroyed. Treated as imposters, a key way our Lord is treated. A phony. Yet, Paul says, we are true. Treated as unknown, yet well known. Treated as dying, but behold, we live. Treated as punished, but not killed. Now, I wonder, are these all pagans doing this? I shouldn't have asked that question. I think of these, you know, know, pagans. Pagans are doing this. Like Christians. Christians are fantastic toward Paul. He gets encouraged by them, supported by them, responsiveness from them. Right? Oh, that list is so, yeah, those are the bad people, the pagans out there. Well, I'll let you come up with the conclusion on that one. And throughout all of this, he is sustained and he endures. A servant is not greater than his master. Now, let this text do its work on you. Let it do its work on you. Let it, let it move in you by the power of the Spirit. You're going to be okay. Your identity is rock solid in Christ. God will work in you and have you be what you can be by His power. God will work in you and bring you to a path that you would not normally take. But what will you find there? You will not just find sorrow, you'll find rejoicing. You will not just find dying, you'll find life. You will not just find people's opinions and comments or bad circumstances, you will find the very presence of Jesus right with you. And now, let's evaluate what that is worth. Let's pray. Lord, all we have is this gospel. It's a wonderful thing to have some of the amazing accomplishments from education, amazing things that we can enjoy because we've put our minds to it. And Father, we would certainly be glad that you've given us all these opportunities to achieve much in our lives. 
But Father, in all that we have experienced in a kind of glorious life, help us to embrace the path that you would call us to. Father, our community needs servants. Our church needs servants. The pastor needs a servant heart. And so reduce our fears, Lord. Help us see where you're calling us and to move without fear. And we love you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.